0: We are thinking of thanksgiving. We've been thinking on it all this month with different sermons, developing an attitude of gratitude. And it's so important and so helpful. We've got plenty in life. We can really be uh, down in our spirit, uh, frustrated, can't find our way out. But in everything, we can still nurture an attitude of gratitude. We've looked at gratitude towards God for what He's done on our behalf. Last week in in looking at Veterans Day, we remembered the warriors of the past and what they did to keep our country strong and safe and us free. And today we're talking about the joy of thanks living and it's relating to being thankful for each other. Before we dive into today's scripture and read it, it'll be helpful to remind you about the author of the book of Philippians. The letter to the Philippians was written by the apostle Paul. Paul had a great appreciation for others. Throughout all his letters, he regularly says expresses appreciation for those who impacted his life. Let's read the scriptures now in Philippians, see what Paul is saying. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your thought for me, in which you did indeed take thought, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect to lack, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content in it. I know how to be humbled and I know how to abound. In everything and in all things, I have learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to abound and be in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. However, you did well that you shared in my affliction. You yourselves also know, you Philippians, that in the beginning, Of the good news, when I departed from Macedonia, no assembly shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my need. Not that I seek for the gift, but I seek for the fruit that increases to your account. Key verse. But I have all things and abound. I am filled, having received from Ephroditus the things that came from you, a sweet-smelling sacrifice, an acceptable and well-pleasing sacrifice for God. You know, it would have been easy for Paul to kind of have a prideful, arrogant spirit. He was a great man. He shares that in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about his background starting in verse 4. He even says, Though I myself might have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, faultless, a Pharisee, As for me, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul could be very proud of his background. Paul had street creds, kind of a common term today. Circumcised on the eighth day. That was Jewish law. The circumcision was to take place eight days after the child and My wife Sue has told me time and again, I've forgotten time and again, but medically there's a reason for circumcision on the eighth day. The body starts coagulating and the wound heals quicker. But God told it to the Hebrews to do that before they knew anything about medical technology. So being circumcised on the eighth day just means Paul was raised in a home that worshipped and honored Jehovah God and followed His decrees, tribe of Benjamin. He knew his tribe, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And after that, he says a Hebrew among Hebrews. Paul had all the credentials, all the lineage, uh, uh, to be able to make a firm statement that he was uh, completely Jewish. Uh, he could, for us, he could trace his roots back to the Mayflower, or back when they came across. I used to wonder about us being on the Mayflower and never could find anything. I've done genealogy. And finally, I found out that the Brockways came to America by Captain Wollston Brockway. He led his own ship, settled in Lyme, Connecticut. So we weren't on the Mayflower, but we made it here nonetheless. But Paul could say, I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. Then he talks about uh, his his knowledge, he was a Pharisee. They were schooled, they were experts in the law. Paul trained under a great teacher, Gamaliel, who was well known. So Paul had a great education and that also tells us something about his family. They had the money to send him to school. He didn't have to be a, just a laborer. He went to the school and, and learned. We know his zealousness. He, after he finished, he went out and he sought to get Christians and to persecute them and even have them stoned to death for their blasphemy in their eyes. And he stood, Acts chapter 6, chapter 5, pardon me, tells us how he he stood, it uh, it is 6, but stood there and witnessed Stephen being stoned for his testimony of Christ. He was very zealous. And that put him at the peak of Jewish devotion. There was nothing you could do more than knowing and going out to eradicate the Christians for their study. And then he was, says righteous, but he puts that qualifier on it. This is now after Paul had been saved by Jesus Christ. And he said, I was legalistically righteous. In other words, he followed all the law. He kept the law. He was a very diligent uh, Jew in keeping the laws. But in that one adjective there that Paul gives, he gives us an insight that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Paul had street creds. He had great reason among his people. And he had every right to brag, to be proud He was born in the right family. They were pillars of the church. He came from wealth. He received the highest education. He was a driven alpha male. And if there was ever a blue blood, it was the Apostle Paul. But Paul came to realize that all those exemplary traits, he was lost. It took God coming to him And stopping him on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute more Christians, blinded him. He fell. And he spoke to him, Paul, Paul, why, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, Saul called out, Who is it? I am the Christ. He realized, he found out. He didn't know all everything at that moment, but God sent a servant, Ananias, to go and lead him home out of fear because he was worried that Paul was coming. He said, Lord, we know this person's out here to kill Christians. Maybe this is a trick. But he obeyed God, took him into his home, told him about Jesus Christ, and Paul accepted Christ as a savior. And in that, Paul realized his state before God. He realized that all of his righteousness was legalism, was following rules, and it didn't have the heart, and he had fallen short of the glory of God. Paul, in spite of all that, he was very thankful for God's grace. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, The saying is faithful and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul considered himself the chiefest of sinners. So, this person who could have had a very haughty, arrogant spirit was humbled, realized his need for Jesus Christ, and he was grateful that Christ had made himself known to him. And Paul certainly became one of, if not the greatest writers of our New Testament, great theology. And we rely on his teachings very much. So God took what Paul understood about the Old Testament writings. The New Testament wasn't formed yet. He he couldn't study the New Testament. It was being written as he lived. But he knew the Old Testament. He knew the Jewish ways. He knew the tradition. And God was able to use Paul's understanding the depth of understanding he had in Jewish Jewish teachings and the law to proclaim what that meant under Jesus Christ into a new covenant of grace. No one else could have done that uh, save Paul. So that attitude of gratitude begins with coming to a true realization that all we take pride in is rubbish. That's what Paul says Elsewhere later in in chapter 3, he says, I count it all as rubbish save for knowing Christ Jesus. So he had every reason to be proud, but he understood that as great as that was, it didn't measure up to knowing Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3.10, favorite verses of mine, Paul says, and I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And when I I read that part of the verse, I think about Tim Allen and Home Improvement, who every time there was something powerful, a new engine, he just loved power. We love power. We love thinking about that. We love the idea of being on the mountaintop with God and having a great vista. But Paul goes on, and to know the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in death. Paul knew it wasn't all about the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't all about uh, the, the great vistas or being living on the mountaintop. He knew that following Christ, being like Christ, involved suffering for Christ and suffering for other believers. Paul knew that and he accepted it and he had learned to be content in it. He had learned that his religion was a failure And that the only reason he had salvation was because of Jesus Christ. If anyone was going blindly through life, thinking he was right, it was Paul. He thought he was so right, he was seeking to put to death those who believed otherwise. And he had to be blinded in order to see. But Paul's humility and thankfulness didn't stop there. Devoted, mature Christians took him under their wings. They taught him the ways of Christ, and the scholar became the student. As you'll read through Acts and the other books, Paul talks about the many women and men alike who took time to teach him the ways of Christ. He knew the ways of Judaism, he knew the way of law and legalism, but he needed to know the way of grace and mercy. And he couldn't learn that on his own. He needed others to come alongside and they did, and he was forever grateful for that. Early in his walk, those devoted mature Christians schooled him. Throughout his ministry, he received support from many various individuals and churches. The prince became the pauper. Not begging for scraps, but contentedly appreciative for other people's benevolence on his behalf. Paul was aware of the help from others in his ministry. He didn't feel entitled or deserving of their help. Paul never failed to acknowledge their gift. He regularly thanked the individual for their role in his life. And he thanked God for bringing them into his life. Too often when people become so important, we know what's said, they've forgotten the little people, the people that got them there. We feel that, that wasn't Paul. Paul took an interest in uh, some of the others struggling. Epaphroditus was a slave who became a dear friend. Timothy was a young boy and Paul mentored him and grew him into a, a great elder of the church. Titus, Philemon, on and on, and that's for us, on and on are people that Paul invested himself into, raising them up, teaching them how to be great leaders, teachers and preachers and elders. Paul didn't forget what he had come from and where he was, and that it was not of his own. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It got ingrained in him deeply. A person who was really schooled and and disciplined in doing the rules, following the rules, that it wasn't about rules, coming to know Christ and having a relationship with God. It was forsaking everything, forsaking all of his abilities, forsaking all of his knowledge and realizing he was a sinner in need of salvation. And he, he made that step and become useful to God. Paul received benefit for the contributions and help of others. He could have been arrogant, believing he deserved their devotion. He could have dismissed their sacrifice as inadequate for such a great man. Paul was humbled and truly appreciative for their help, and his greatest joy was for the benefit that those who helped him were going to receive. That key verse I told you about was verse 17. When he says, I know, not that I am looking for a gift. He was, he was content in whatever the Lord gave him. Paul worked for a time making tents to support himself. He wasn't looking for people to uh, finance his ministry so that he didn't have to work. He understood that. So he wasn't looking for that. But I am looking for what may be credited to your account. He rejoiced because he knew for their sacrifices, for their giving to him and to the ministry that God was going to reward them. And he was joyous that they were going to receive a benefit from God. And that's the joy of thanks living. That we can give to others and not worry about it, and trust God to give to us. That as others give to us, we can rejoice that God is going to bless their gift. The the Christian faith is a backwards faith. The world says, go for all you can get. uh, Step on whoever you got to step on to get ahead. It doesn't matter the little ones beneath you, just so you make it to the top. Christianity says, no, you need to be the bottom. You need to serve others. And Jesus showed that to us in his example where he got down, tied his cloak around his waist, got a pail of water, and was going to start washing the disciples' feet. And feet were dirty back then. They wore sandals if they had shoes at all. The roads were dusty and dirty. Animals were there, if you catch my drift. The feet were not pleasant things. But Jesus, to show them what a servant attitude was, got down to wash their feet for them. And that's what Jesus teaches us Christianity is. Giving to others helping others, being there for them, doing and giving, but also recognizing that others have done for us. To be thankful for when people help us, for being aware, not being so caught up in ourselves that we don't even realize people are being helpful. Being so caught up in ourselves that we think well, that we deserve it, we're great, they're not, I'm doing a hard job, I'm doing more. That's not what Christianity is, and that's what Paul understood. Paul capped off his comment in 419 when he said, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches. I like the last part of that. My God shall supply your needs according, not to what you deserve, not to what's around, but according to His riches, according to what God has. And what does God have? He's got it all. The restriction is not from God the Father restricting what He gives us. And fortunately, the restriction is on our faith. We don't believe we don't trust. We think we have to still buy and scrap and, and, and do for ourselves. And there is a responsibility in living. We certainly don't become uh, just a, a, a weight to society just saying God's going to take care of it. We're to be responsible. But on those things that we can't help, we can't do anything about, We can know and trust we've got a Heavenly Father who knows what we need and wants to give us these benefits. Paul understood that, and he knew that God was going to meet their need for their gracious gifts, for their generosity. And so the question comes upon us today, who are we thankful for? Do we recognize that we're not for God's love and mercy and grace that we would be doomed to eternal death and separation from God. That's where gratefulness starts, is realizing our position before Him, our understanding as a Christian, especially that has accepted Christ, getting rid of that notion that it's my decision and that I chose Christ. You chose Christ because he chose you he knew you before you knew him so that's the first stop but then with Paul is acknowledging the gifts of others acknowledging those who are there helping us on this holiday Thanksgiving it's a lot of hubbub a lot of busyness lot going on, but if you can catch a moment of silence and peace, I challenge you to take a pen and paper. Ask God, because we're not seeing it, but ask God to show us those who have crossed our paths, who have helped us. Sue and I went back to college. We were attending Cumberland College, and we had two children. I wasn't working, Sue was carrying the load as a nurse, so times were tough, times were tight. But we got scholarships, we got other things, we made it through. As I was finishing up my time, had to go to uh, admissions and, and registrar and all that and close things out, make sure the bill was done. And on the last year, the last semester, the person told me, he said, I think it's okay to tell you now. Dr. Winchester and his wife, Portia, have been donating to your tuition all these semesters. Dr. Winchester and Portia lived in Stearns, Kentucky, and they had gone to Kenya, they had met Sue's parents, and because I was Chuck and Betty's son-in-law, They were generous towards us. I never knew it until the end there. And so there are occasions like that that we just don't know. When people are doing good for us, sometimes we find out, but we can pray and ask God, tell us, Lord, tell me. The benefits i've gotten tell me how people open my eyes lord that i can have a grateful heart to see what others are doing for me how they are helping and as you are open as you are honest before him i i have every confidence he will tell you it won't who knows how he'll do that god works with each one the way he wants to could be a flood of names He could trickle them out as you can handle them. But as He does, you can give thanks for each one. And you can ask God to pour out His blessings according to His riches on that person. Granted, some of those people have departed. We have grandmothers, mothers, aunts, uncles. We have teachers. We have pastors who took care of us who helped us, who taught us. And we can't go to them now and say, thank you so much. And this could weird you out a little bit, but if you'll you'll really open your minds and realize God is all time. We're here in the present. God's here. God's also in the past and is in the future we don't know about. And God does not give us that uh, situation to where we can commune with people that have gone before. But especially if they're a Christian, if they're a Christian, they're with Him. And it's, to me, very logical, very scriptural, very spiritual, that in your prayer time, you can say, God let whomever know, let dad know, let mom know, I get it now. I know where I thought they were being mean, I know they were trying to rear me up. Where I thought they weren't taking care of me, they were doing their best to provide. Give them a hug for me, God. I don't know how that'll turn out in the realms of heaven, but I think that's very real. That God is with them We can't talk to them. We're actually instructed not to try to do that. But God can. So I I encourage you, take some time to be thankful, to remember those, to ask God to call to mind the little things you may not have seen. And in that time, don't pray for yourselves like we typically do, but pray in thankfulness of those present and departed for their willingness to be a blessing to you. As you do that, as you remember them, as you take stock of their role in your life, you can enjoy the joy of thanks living and wishing the best for them in gratitude and thankfulness. So I I hope you'll do that exercise.